Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Revelation chapter 22 verse 13, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end, which to me just kind of blows my mind because really uh, oftentimes you think about the beginning. He says, I am the beginning. And you say, of what? And the answer is everything. Jesus is the beginning of everything, of all things. In fact, last week, one of the things that we learned is that Jesus was around before the creation of the heavens and the earth. So if you open your Bible and you look up Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now that includes Jesus in that. He created the heavens. And remember this is that the heavens means the spiritual dimension. So he created the spiritual dimension, which is probably kind of freaking you out right now to think that God actually lives outside of the spiritual dimension, even though he is spirit. Uh, he also created the earth. And when he says the earth, he's talking about the physical and material world. Okay. So when we say the physical and material world, we're not just talking about planet earth. We're talking about the entire universe, like everything. And, and the universe, if you were here last week, you would know that the universe is huge huge and is presently being upheld by the power of God's word. It's being presently being held together by Jesus. The very fabric of life is being held together by Jesus. And if at any point he decided, I've had enough of all of this, then it would all cease to exist. That's how dependent we are on Jesus. Now, everything that God creates, it has a purpose, right? The universe has a purpose and you have a purpose. And if you don't know what your purpose is, is there's a whole heap of places that you can go and try to find it. But I promise you this, your best place to look is to your creator because you will find your purpose in him. Does that make sense? All right, come on. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into it. Father, I thank you for each person that's here tonight. God, I pray that you speak to us. Help us to understand how big you are, how vast you are, how expansive your universe is. And Lord, I pray in that we see everything that you've created, but Lord, let us see it from your perspective. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the beginning, everything was perfect. Everything was as it should be. I mean, it's, it's utopia, okay? It's, it's, you know, so much better than what we have now. And every created thing had a purpose. We already talked about that. So the universe has a purpose and you have a purpose. And when God created you, I want you to remember something, right? You are the pinnacle of creation. Do you know what makes you so special? It is the fact that you are what the Bible calls, and this is a theological term, you are imago Dei. You are created in the image of God. And so God is Father, Son, and and spirit, and, and, and so he's the Trinity, and you are body, soul, and spirit. So he's a triune being, and you're a triune being, and you exist really, 
you know, to, to glorify God. I think that if we were to look at just the human race, just people and the complexity of life, it speaks to how big God is. That really means that it glorifies Him because it testifies to how amazing our God really is. Now, everything that God created, just so you know, it's always created with purpose. We've already said that, right? Another word for purpose would be intense. And so you've got to understand something, that when God creates something, He has an intention for it. And His intention for human beings was that we would have an uninhibited, all-access pass, 24-7 to the King of the universe. That God would feel closer than hands and closer than our feet, that He would be in such close proximity to us. But I don't really feel like I need to tell you this, but I'll say it anyway. It didn't last. Surprise. Newsflash. It didn't last. The perfect utopia environment that God created, that uninhibited uh, relationship, it, it, it didn't last. And, and probably because what God did is He created this garden. He put Adam and Eve in it and then put them in charge of everything in uh, that garden. And then he had this one tree, it's a tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you can eat the fruit from every other tree, but you just can't have that one tree. I mean, I, I'm sort of want to have conversations with God where I say to him, why did you put the tree there in the first place? Like no tree, no problem. All right. One tree, 99 problems. Okay. So, so it's, it's just if there was no tree, then we would never be in this situation. But sometimes, you know, you, you really don't know how strong a relationship is until it's tested, right? And, and, and can I just, just clarify something for you all right now that you understand this? I said tested. I didn't say tempted because you should know this is that God doesn't tempt people. In fact, the scriptures are so clear about this. God is not interested in, interested in tempting you at all. But you got to know something. He is happy to test you. And tonight I'm going to speak about one of the most critical events in all of human history. It transcends the uh, physical realm and the spiritual realm. It is one of the most significant events to ever happen. And it begins with a seemingly innocent question. And so we're going to look at Genesis right now. Genesis chapter 3, and it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Newsflash, they're already like God. That's the whole point. Knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her at the time. And he ate and the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths. You got to be so careful who you listen to. 
You got to be so careful who you listen to. Here is some really good advice for everybody that's here tonight. If you happen to find yourself walking through a forest and a snake talks to you, you just keep going. You just keep moving. I suggest to you tonight that if a snake should talk to you, it has nothing to offer you. There is nothing you need from that thing that's talking to you. Just keep on. It's like it's weird, but we're not sticking around to have this conversation. I actually knew a story about a guy who wrote into a veterinarian and he said, I have this wonderful relationship with my, uh, he had like a python or something like that. He said, it, it, it gets out of its cage at night and it comes into my bedroom and it lies beside me. And it's like, we have such great love for each other. And so the veterinarian replies back and he said, no, 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 you need to get rid of that thing. If you can't keep it in its cage, you need to get rid of that thing immediately. It doesn't love you. It's just measuring you. It's lying next to you to see if it can eat you. And as soon as it is big enough to eat you, it will. What's my point? Snakes have nothing to offer anyone, all right? So you don't need to trust them. You don't have a relationship with them. Don't, don't lean into anything that they say, right? But, we, but come on, like we, we, we hear about this snake that's in the Bible. This, it's actually translated as snake. It's not really what the word says. But I, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, really, like, this is like, have you ever met a crafty snake? Uh, I've never met a crafty. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb. This doesn't sound totally crazy. I've never met a snake that even talks, okay? So, so when you read this, you go, well, what is this really saying? And I, I thought that it would be helpful to look at the original language of the scriptures and so we can understand what they say. And then maybe we can understand this just a little bit better. So the Hebrew word for serpent is nahash. And it's translated uh, sometimes in some versions as snake, but that's, that's not actually what it means means. It means to hiss, to whisper a magic spell, to forecast and prophesy divine enchantment. And so when it says serpent, right, a serpent that's able to do all of this, it's like something that we haven't seen before. And where sometimes our translation might sort of let us down is it tries to just tell us about something that we might know or recognize. But in its original context, in its original language, that's really not what it means at all. And if, if you think about it, just go with me for a second right now. Hands up, this might be really interesting. Hands up who's ever heard the audible, audible voice of God. All right, so it's pretty consistent. So, so not a lot of people have heard the audible voice of God. So, so when, when God speaks to you, he, he speaks to you how? Into, into your mind, right? So that, that's how God communicates with you. So it's actually not even a stretch to think or understand that maybe that this is exactly how this went down. Um, have, you ever, have you ever walked out and just seen like a beautiful sunset and and you just felt like it just communicated something amazing about God, you know? There's always somebody on Instagram that's going to take a photo of the sky and say, the heavens declare something, you know? Like, as you all know that person. It might be you. If you know who it is, nudge them. So, so but, you know, people, people like to say that. Why? Because they say it's communicating a message to me, you know? Like, it's, 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 it's saying something, right? Do you understand what I'm talking about? All right, you don't. That's cool. L- let me... Let me drive this point really home. If you were to go into Krispy Kreme and a donut was saying, eat me, right? Like the donut, I, f- I felt like this donut was just telling me to eat it, right? That's kind of like what I'm talking about. 
So it's like this, these, these objects, but it's communicating something. And there is a spiritual realm that's at work in this moment right now. But, it, but really, even when we read this in the beginning, if you were to start at the beginning uh, and just read Genesis, it really doesn't tell you much about who this serpent really is. But that's okay because we have other scriptures. And so if you look in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15, it says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven. Above the stars of God, I'll set my throne on high. I will sit I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Now that word that I highlighted there, or that phrase, Odaystar, if you were to look at that in the King James translation, it actually translates Odaystar as Lucifer, which is really the only uh, uh, place you will ever find Lucifer anywhere. It's just in that one version because they translate translated it like that. Don't ask me why. I wasn't there at the time. They never consulted me, but that's what they did. But that's not the only name of Satan. In fact, there are a whole heap of names. And, and, and once you know some of the names, you might see that he starts to feature just a little bit more often than the name Satan. And so here are some of the names. The Hebrew name Satan, it means adversary. He's an adversary of God. He's an adversary of us. And his names are the devil, the serpent, Beelzebub, Lucifer, the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the evil one, the dragon. And if you look at all of these names, I want you to understand something really important tonight. That, that, that when we speak about sort of evil being in the wor- world, this is the very origin of evil. This is the be- in the beginning. This is the beginning of evil right now. But more than that, it, it's not some kind of impersonable force that just projects itself into the world. No, no, no. Evil has a name. We call him Satan. And, and he is out to, uh, to, to ruin people's lives and to destroy the world. But I want you to focus in on this point right now. It's, a, it's, it's like a person. It's an actual uh, spirit called the devil, not just some, impenet- some, some kind of force that's out there. Um, so somewhere between Genesis chapter 1 and, and Genesis chapter 3, there was a huge angelic war uh, that stretched uh, you know, uh, across the heavenlies. And the Bible tells us about that too. This might come as a surprise to you. Maybe some of you didn't even know that this scripture was in there. But Revelation 12, 7 to 9 says this. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, that's the devil, that's Satan. And the dragon and his angels, they fought back. But he was defeated, of course, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, so that's that reference again back to Genesis, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So he leads a war against God. Now, this is how dumb this gets, right? You got to understand, right? 
like the devil is created by God. So when it comes to how powerful they are, it's not even a competition. Like he's just outmatched in every way, totally outclassed. But this is how sneaky he is. He convinces a whole heap of other angels that are also made by God, but have actually seen him in a way that we have never seen him, understanding his power, his magnificence, his majesty. And he still said, guys, I think we can win this. And so somehow, dumb must be catching because they decided this is a great idea and we're all going to go against God. Again, not a problem for God. So he completely defeats them. And I know that you say, well, that seems kind of crazy for these angels to listen to the devil over God. But can I tell you something that's even crazier is that even though we know that they did that and they shouldn't, people still do that today. People are still listening to the voice of the enemy over the voice of God. In fact, it happens all the time. And we can see how convincing he must actually be. Now, let me just tell you his goal up front, just so you know, we can settle it. We can square it away tonight. His goal is to ruin your life in every way imaginable and to keep you from the presence of God. Now understand this, there is no competition between the enemy of your soul, Satan. There's no competition between him and between God. And in fact, you gotta know this, he can't hurt God, he can't touch God, he can't even get close to God, right? But you know who he can get close to? You. If you allow him to speak to you and you take his counsel, be careful who you listen to because if you take his counsel and you end up going down the garden path and seeing your own life be ruined, inadvertently you can understand how that starts to hurt God because even though he can't hurt God, he can kind of do it vicariously through you by ruining your life. And that's his whole game. That's his whole mission. That's his whole focus. That's why he exists. So be careful about the voices that you entertain and you listen to. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said that bad company corrupts good morals. And so often people start in one place and bit by bit, just incrementally, they're shifted and moved from where they wanted to be to where they are. Have you ever made a mistake? No, you didn't. I was still going, but thank you for your honesty. Have you ever made a mistake? And when you've reflected on how deep you truly have sunk, you don't even know how you really got there because where you are is so far from where you intended to be. It's like you would never piece together that in your past that you would have ended up there in your future. You would have never have made those decisions you would never have made that phone call or had that conversation. You would never have done any of that. How, how did I get here? Here's how you got there. It didn't happen in a moment. It happened incrementally and bit by bit. And this is the whole strategy. And this is exactly what uh, Satan did with Eve. And so if you look back over the story that we just read tonight, it says that, that Eve, here she is, and she's just hanging out by the tree. Now my question is, what's she even doing there in the first place? Why is she hanging around the one place she's not supposed to go? It's like you had one job. Just don't eat the fruit. That's it. 
It's like you can, you, can, you can have all this other fruit, but you just can't have the fruit from that tree. So where is she hanging out? The one place she's not supposed to be. She's hanging out in that one. Now, this is the thing about people. Sometimes people want to get so close to the fire before they get burned. They want to see how close they can come to danger without actually getting hurt. And, and, and you know what? This is exactly like my kids. They, they, they understand this very well. We're sitting in a cafe uh, the, other, the other day, and my son Isaac, I, they, they've got sugar in a bowl. Like, I don't know why cafes do that. Like, just put a cover on it. Just make sure kids can't get to it, right? None of you are going to have sugar when you go to cafes after this story. And so, and, and so there's the bowl of sugar, and I can see that my son Isaac is sort of reaching for it. So I said to him, I said, no, 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 no. I said, hey, Isaac, I said, don't touch that sugar, right? So what does he do? He leans forwards and he looks at me and he's just hovering. <laughs> see that? Yeah, yeah. So his finger is just above the sugar and he's looking at me and I know what he's thinking. He's saying, technically, I'm not even really touching it. I can't get in trouble for this. But then he slipped. And as soon as he slipped, his finger went straight into the sugar. And I saw it. And as soon as I saw it, I said to him, right, that's it. I told you, if you touch the sugar, you're not getting anything. So seriously, honestly, I went and canceled the milkshake, right? Now he's devastated, right? Like what a terrible father. But you got to understand something, right? When you have kids and they want to push the boundaries, right? It, it may seem really harsh there, but when I say, hey, come back from the road before you get hit by the car, it makes a whole heap of sense in that scenario right there. What, sometimes what we're trying to do is teach our kids principles, right? Now here's the principle that you've got to understand. Stop getting so close to the fire. Stop getting so close and you're like, well, technically I'm not doing anything wrong. Anytime you need to use the word technically, you've, you're just so close to the line, you could actually fall off, right? You are on the edge because you had to use the word technically as if you're explaining away your proximity to the dangerous area. So this is the thing. You, you got to know this. Come on, guys. There are some environments you just know are not good for you, don't you? There are some places that you just shouldn't go. Like for me, and I've always been really open and honest about this. For me, I don't really like going to nightclubs. It's not my scene. I used to go a bit. I, I, I haven't gone for a long time. I never want to go now. Do you know why? What is there for me? What can I look at? Where can I go? What can I do? There's not a whole heap of options there for me. So, so like I'm better off just not even being there. Where are you right now where you know I shouldn't even be hanging out here? I shouldn't even be hanging out in this place. I shouldn't even be in this environment. You know that sometimes you can get into an environment, but the environment gets onto you and it just kind of like makes you maybe do some crazy things that you would ordinarily never do. And so this is what Eve is. She's, she's within the proximity of danger. She's like, look how close I can get to the fire without getting burned. But then she starts to take the counsel of the serpent. Again, just don't have a conversation with a serpent, right? But here is how crafty he is. He changes what God says. He says, did God say to you that you should not eat any of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And she 
says, rightly so, with conviction in her voice, no, God didn't say that. No, in fact, here's what God said. He said that we could eat from any of the trees in the garden except the one that's in the midst of the garden, which coincidentally is the one that we're standing right next to right now. And so the serpent, he's trying to like mix a little bit of truth in with lies, right? How many of you guys know that the best lies always have a little bit of truth in them because it makes you believe it. It sounds like it could be true. And so it kind of captures you. It kind of ensnares you. And so she's listening to the serpent, believing what he says. And then he does something. He takes a move, just moves it incrementally, just a little step further away from what she said. And this, the only word I will come up with this, this is diabolical, right? This is, this is crazy. And, and, and here's what Satan says to Eve. He says to her, oh, no, 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 no. If you eat of the tree, you'll become like God. Where's the lie? They were already like God. They didn't need to eat the fruit, right? And so here she is and she's listening to it. And he says, no, no, God. And here's the even worse. Here's, there's so many lies in, that, in this one little passage, but here's the worst lie. It's casting this shadow of doubt over the goodness of God. He's really saying, you can't trust God. God is holding you back. He knows that if you eat this fruit, then you'll become like him. And he doesn't want you to become like him. So he's trying to keep the good things from you. But if you take it and you eat it, right? And Eve's listening to this and she's thinking, well, it kind of sounds like I'm missing out right now. This is the first documented case of FOMO that you'll ever see anywhere. Right here in this passage, Genesis chapter 1. It's like, she's like, well, I don't want to miss out on, on being like God. So I guess I'm going to take that fruit and I'm going to eat it. Now, here's the thing. And, and, and please listen to this. Right now, the enemy of her soul, Satan, he is being so affirming so encouraging of the decisions that Eve is making. You know, he just really wants to support her and what she's doing, right? Every time you are standing close to the fire and close to the danger, the enemy is going to encourage you to make the wrong decisions. And let me tell you how this works because he's been doing it for a long time. He encourages people to make the wrong decision. As soon as you make it, flips the switch on that and suddenly it's all condemnation. And so you did the wrong thing. You are a horrible person. You can't even do one thing, right? It was like one piece of fruit. You couldn't even do that, right? And he's saying all of this, why? Because he knows that if he can make you feel guilty about the thing he just encouraged you to do, then you feel that sense of shame. You feel that sense of guilt. And in my experience, when people experience guilt and shame, the last place that they want to go to is God and it's the first place that they need to go to. And I told you, see, he's got the whole strategy worked out to keep you from the presence of God so you never experience all that God has to offer. And so in the middle of all of this, Eve takes a second look at the fruit. A second look at the fruit. And when she takes a second look, she sees, oh, wait a minute. You're right. This fruit 
is good for eating, and this fruit will make me wise. Now, the first time she's asked about it, she responds with conviction. But suddenly, she's changed her mind. Why? Because she took a second look. Hey, can I tell you something right now? There are so many things that you should never take a second look at. Just lingering. Just looking a little bit longer than you should. If you're here and you're married, don't take a second look anywhere else. You have one place to look. It's your own spouse. You're just supposed to look at your wife. Sometimes people, they're not happy with necessarily what's in front of them and they see other things that catch their attention and they know it's not right. Everyone knows it's not right. Whenever someone gets married at the altar, they make their commitment. And when they do, they say, till death do us part. But somewhere between till death do us part and the unhappiness of their experience, they take a second look somewhere else and it appeals to them and they say, this is not the life I want. Some people might be saying, this is not the wife I want and they're looking somewhere else instead of where they should be. Don't let your eyes begin to linger in the wrong direction. Don't let it look at the things that you shouldn't be looking at. Don't be tempted by the wrong things. This, this is the thing. I, I just feel like there are too many people making the wrong decisions in life, looking at things that they shouldn't be looking at. You've got to keep your eyes fixed on the life that God has given to you. Do you know that the Bible says something about temptation? It says that you are actually lured in and you're tempted by your own desires. In other words, there's something inside of you that the temptation is actually appealing to. And that's the reason why you feel tempted. And so here's Eve knows that she can't eat the fruit, but inch by inch, incrementally, step by step, she moves away from what she knows God says is right until she comes to a place where she takes a bite. And there's Adam, who was with her at the time, with absolutely zero conviction about what he should say. I mean, seriously, this is a good, I just want to speak to the men for a, a second. You may, may not be married, but this lesson will just carry through in life, all right? You ready for this? Should you ever find your wife talking to a snake, just break that up right now. Like there's just, you know, you know, you know I mean, Derek, would you ever let your wife talk to a snake? No, see, Derek knows. He, he would not do that. You, you don't let your wife talk to a snake. And here's Adam totally abdicating his responsibility, zero conviction about you know, what he should be doing, doesn't say a thing about it. Can I tell you that sometimes you know, you're not actually necessarily fighting stuff, you're just allowing it to exist in your life, but you should know that you approve of what you allow in your life. Maybe I'll say that again just so you understand it. If you're just allowing stuff to be there in your life when you know it shouldn't be there, without even meaning to, you're giving approval to it because you're not making any effort to move it. You're not shifting back from it. You're not moving away from it. You're just allowing it to exist so you kind of approve of it. And I said all of this stuff to explain to you about the history of humanity and sin and the origin of evil because there is a point right now which is so important that you need to tune into. And this next point, I'm telling you right now, this really sucks for you. Everything that Adam did, he didn't just wreck his own life. No, it says when he did this, 
all humanity was affected by it. All humanity fell from their position with dominion, authority over God's creation and everything he did. The pinnacle of creation, Imago Dei, made in his image. And he didn't just cause himself to fall. No, he caused the rest of humanity to fall. In fact, the Bible says it this way. Romans 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that man was Adam, and death, which is the curse of sin, it says through sin, and so death spread to all men, And when it says that, it says future generations because all sinned. In other words, what your great, 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 great granddaddy Adam did affects you today because what happened is the problem of sin was passed down from one generation to the next. And in fact, it wasn't just humans, but all life was affected by the fall. Now I told you, that everything that God created, it has a purpose. And when it fails to meet its purpose in terms of its design and intention, the Bible calls that sin. And sin is not just some moral failure. It's not just some thing that you did that was wrong. In fact, sometimes sin can be the fact that you didn't do the right thing Did you know that there are two types of sin? There's the sin of commission. That's when you do something wrong. But then there's the sin of omission. It's when you didn't do something right that you know that you should do. And so sin, in terms of its definition, means to simply fail in terms of your design and intention. We were designed and intended to be created in the image of God, to be an imago Dei, to represent God. And the moment that sinfulness entered the human race, suddenly we could not come close to reflecting who He is. He's perfect in all his ways. And now because of what Adam did, no one had the right to be able to reflect God's glory. And this right now, I'm about to tell you a word, word, I want you to listen into it. This right now is humanity's greatest problem. It's called imputed sinfulness. And it means that because we belong to the human race, What's affected the very beginning and origin of the human race, creating a sin nature inside Adam that was passed from every generation to the next without even trying. It's on you. It's, it's, it's fallen on you. In fact, the Bible says that we go astray from the womb, from the time that we're created. We don't have a desire to serve God. Come on, is that so hard to believe? Have you ever seen a baby come out and say, I just want to give glory to God? Just right now, just, glory, just pray, praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. I'm out, praise Him. It's like, you've never seen that. You'll never see that. Because actually we have a disposition towards our own nature. We have a disposition towards pleasing our own heart's desires. And that's the very problem that we have. And if, if you're like me, I, I, I look at this stuff and I go, that is just not fair. How come because he did that? Why should that affect me? And I know that it seems really unfair. And I know that it doesn't seem right. But I'm not so sure that you would do any better. You have no less free will than what Adam did. I don't know how you're going right now, but I submit to you that you're not perfect and you probably already know that. And so Adam and Eve, understanding that they had messed up, that their eyes were open, suddenly they understood in that moment 
that they had sent. They said, we've got to fix this. We've got, we got to make it right. How are we going to make this right? It says that they were shamed, that they, had, that they, they, they realized that they were naked. And God says to them, who said that you were naked? Like, how would you even know what clothes were? What says that you were naked? Do you know when the Bible says that they were full of, that they were naked, it, what it really means to say is that they had shame. They realized that they'd done something wrong. They were totally exposed before God. That's what naked means as the, in, as the Hebrews wrote it. And they wanted to fix it. And they tried to fix their own problems. You know how they tried to fix the problem of shame? They took fig leaves together and they sewed them together and they tried to put them on the outside. Isn't that just like humanity that's always trying to fix what's on the outside? Or maybe if I just manage my persona, maybe if I just manage what people see, maybe if I, I just take care of everything that's on the outside, then people will look at me and God will look at me and He'll be pleased with me. And that's the best hope that I have to make it right. But on the inside, they still knew that they were guilty and they hid from God in the garden of, of Eden. And like I said, dumb must be catching because they hid from God in the garden that he created. He's God. He knows where to find him. But they hid. Why would they do that? Illogical, irrational to hide. But you know what? They feel such sense of shame and guilt. What choice that they feel that they had. Oh, this is the story of humanity. People that make mistakes and have carry guilt and shame, try to fix it by just piecing together things on the outside so that it gives the appearance of everything being okay. But this problem, this is one that you can't fix. In fact, the Bible says, if you try to do it on your own, you can't please God because you know what? You're not perfect. You need someone who is. You need a savior. His name is Jesus. The whole reason that the enemy tried to convince and be very supportive of Eve going against God to bring sin into the human race was so that he could stand there and he could say to God, do you see? The pinnacle of creation you created these people to be in your image and they can't even do one thing right. And now the devil said, I got them all because I didn't just affect one. I got them all because they're all going to be affected like this. But then God came along and he did something. He changed everything. He flipped it. And if you thought that imputed sinfulness was a terrible thing, let me tell you about imputed righteousness. It simply means this. I know it sounds like a big Christian word. Let me just unpack that for you so you understand it. Everything that Jesus did, the perfect life that he lived, every uh, 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 thing that he avoided doing, like his perfect life, he gives you that life in place of your own sinful one. And when you come to Jesus and when you say to him, I've sinned, I've made mistakes, I'm not perfect. Will you forgive me of my sin? He says, I'm not just going to forgive you because I could do that. I mean, I could just forgive you, but that would be pulling it too short. 
what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to forgive you, but then I'm going to take my perfect life and I'm going to place it on you. Understand, imagine that you're wrapped and clothed in the righteousness of God. It's tailor-made grace. It's beautiful and it's for you. So what you got to start doing is stop trying to fix your own problems and stop trying to fix all the things that's wrong with you. You're not going to make it. And the good news tonight, you don't have to. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to make it right. You just got to call on the one who does. And all, all, all the things that you've done wrong, all the sin, all the shame, all the guilt, in a moment, in a moment, you're saved, you're free. Imputed right, sinfulness, you live in a state of sin. Imputed righteousness, you exist in a state of freedom. And the Bible says this, that he who's free in Christ is free indeed. How many Christians do you know that get saved, but they never get free? It's because they don't understand what God has done for them. And they're still in their saved state, walking around, even though they've got access to God, feeling guilty about the shame. Because you got to know this, that even though God saves you and He sets you free from sin, He doesn't take your memories. So you got to remember this. There are things that you won't forget. And every time those things are brought to memory, you got to understand you're forgiven, you're saved, you're free, you're whole. The grace of God is on you. Man, He wants to do so much in your life. If you just let Him. And stop trying to fix your own problems. And just trust in the One who can. Why don't you stand to your feet tonight? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.